regardless of what's happening around us, regardless of, of how uncertain things might be, that upon you we have a solid rock upon which we can stand. Father, I pray today that you would show us from your word your great love for us that gives us the faith and the confidence that we have in our hope in you. So we invite your Holy Spirit to teach us this morning, to convict us, to challenge us, and to change us. In the good name of Jesus we pray, amen and amen. I want to invite you to take your Bible and look with me in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, in just a few minutes we're going to read a uh, paragraph or two of Scripture that is a very familiar parable and a very familiar passage to many of you. You've probably heard it before, and maybe you've never heard it at all, but today we're going to look at that as we think about and talk about this idea, the reckless love of God. Now, for the past couple of weeks, we have been looking at the values that define our mission as a church. And this is not just for the church, but it's for you as a part of the church and as a follower of Jesus. These are values, these are disciplines, these are behaviors that followers of Jesus should embrace and that the church should practice. And and we certainly, we've identified six of those that we're going to focus on as a church body, as a church family, and, and we certainly want to practice all six of them. This year, 2022, we are zeroing in on two of those values. We're, we're focusing on serving our community this year, and we're really going to laser in on sharing the gospel with others. In fact, next Sunday, the 30th of January, I hope that you'll be in the sanctuary at 4 p.m. next Sunday as we share with you a, a method of sharing the gospel called Three Circles. If you'll give us 90 minutes of your time, at the most 90 minutes of your time, to next Sunday uh, afternoon at 4 o'clock, we will equip you as best we can to do what we are asking you to do as a follower of Jesus. And so not us asking you, but what Scripture is teaching us to do as a follower of Jesus. So I hope that you'll make plans and I hope that you'll be here next Sunday as we seek to do that. But today I want us to focus on why we should be concerned about the eternity of other people. Why should we bother to get involved in something like three circles or some other way to share the gospel? Why should we be moved to share the gospel? The Apostle Paul wrote something very interesting over in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he talks about how that as followers of Jesus, God has given every follower of his a ministry and a message of reconciliation. Every single one of us, whether you... Uh, 
think that you are spiritual up or not, every single one of us, we have been given a ministry of reconciliation, and we have been given a message of reconciliation. And Paul tells us in that chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, why we have that ministry, that message of reconciliation. He says that the love of Christ compels us. It's the love that Jesus has for us. It's the love that Jesus has for every person on the face of this earth. It's the love that Jesus has for everyone who has ever been created in his image. It is that reckless love of God that compels us, that moves us, that that causes us to be engaged in this ministry and this message of reconciliation. I want us to see a picture of that reckless love of God this morning from a famous parable about a prodigal son found in Luke chapter 15. It's the biography of every person in history. It is the story of our relationship with God. There are three main characters in this parable that Jesus shares with us. There is a younger son, often called the prodigal. There is an older son, and there is the father. Most people think that the main character in this parable is the son who runs away. But in reality, the father is the main character in this parable. It's the father who is mentioned at least a dozen times over the span of 20 verses. Most people also misunderstand that word prodigal. It doesn't mean runaway. Very simply, it's an older word that means reckless or wasteful. The younger son is a prodigal in the sense that he spins and spins recklessly until he has nothing left. In fact, the word appears one time in the story as a reference to this younger son spending all of his money. But catch this, the idea of a prodigal, the idea of something being reckless or or an extravagance, that idea applies just as much to the father in this parable as it does the son. This parable shows us the reckless love of God. As extravagant as the younger son's spending habits were, the extravagance of the father's love was even greater. Let's look at that parable in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. And he, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless, there's the word prodigal, in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. 
And he, this younger son, was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found and they began to celebrate I want to make three statements from this text from these verses about God's love for us about God's love for all sinners, about the reckless love of God, that when we understand them, I believe that that love of Christ will compel us to be those ministers of reconciliation who share the message of reconciliation with those in our family, those in our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors who do not know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that it will compel us to do something about that. Three statements about the reckless love of God. Statement number one is this. God chooses to love us despite our sin. His love is so reckless that he chooses to love us despite our sin. If you notice the actions of this younger son in verses 11 and 12, those actions show us the very essence of sin. For example, sin seeks independence from all authority. This son doesn't want to be in the father's house. This son doesn't want to be under the father's authority. That shows us the picture of sin. Sin doesn't want to be under authority. The center of sin is found in how we spell it. In fact, the center of sin is found in the middle of the word. There are three letters, S-I-N, and the middle letter is what? I. That's the essence of sin. Sin is when I want to be the center. Sin is when I want to be in charge. I want to make the rules. I want it my way. I want it according to my desires and for my glory. This younger son thinks that his ways are best. He thinks that he is the wisest. How many of you fathers have some children who think they're wiser than you? I used to think that about about my folks, but I found something to be true. The older I get, the smarter my mom and daddy get. <laughs> 
But at this moment, this younger son thinks that he has it all figured out. But, but sin, it's not just that, that sin seeks independence from all authority. As we see in this younger son, sin demands instant gratification. That this younger son doesn't want to wait for his inheritance. He wants what's his, and he wants it right now. I've seen people, and I myself am one of those people who've experienced this, get tangled up in sin because they can't wait on God's timing. I want it all, and I want it all right now, or I can't be happy. Sin demands instant gratification, and this younger son shows us that. And sin demands that any obstacle to that independence or to that instant gratification, sin demands that that obstacle be removed. Think about it. In this parable, the only way the younger son without being rebellious and and without being self-centered, the only way he can receive his inheritance is if the father dies. So for this younger son, the father is an obstacle. He, in his heart, wants his father dead because the father is the obstacle to his independence and to his gratification. It's not that he hates the father as a man. It's just that his father represents an obstacle of doing things his way so he wants him gone. The younger son wants the father's stuff. He doesn't want his father. Now, this parable would have shocked the Jewish audience who heard it because this father in the parable doesn't respond in the way that Jewish fathers in that day were expected to respond. You see, the law said that this kind of rejection of the younger son, this kind of rebellion, this kind of pride was worthy of death. And even in situations where maybe they they did not carry through with an actual execution, the Jewish community had a ceremony in which they would declare the rebellious child dead to them. But in this parable, the father doesn't react that way. Instead of pursuing his son in anger, he opened his hands and he gave his son his inheritance. He let the boy go even though it broke his fatherly heart. My point is that the son's behavior, the son's actions did not change the father's love. We are all like that younger son. The essence of our sin is the same as his. Yet, while we are still sinners, God loves us. His love is so reckless, he chooses to love us despite our sin. And when we realize that, when we realize he loves us despite our sin, 
And we realize he loves other people despite their sin. That love of Christ is going to compel us to embrace our role as ministers of reconciliation with that message of reconciliation. God chooses to love us despite our sin. Here's the second statement. God's love makes us aware of our need. His love for us makes us aware of our need. This younger son's new life of independence started off well. Did you know that sin always does? Sin always starts off well. Very rarely do we dip our toe in sin and go, oh, this isn't good. Sin always starts off well. He's in the far country. He's away from the Father, away from all those restrictions, all those rules. He's, in, <clears throat> excuse me, he's enjoying everything that money can buy. But then things begin to change. It always does with sin. The money ran out. The friends left. And eventually, this younger son is broke and lonely. This young man who had grown up in privilege and ease was reduced to begging, and he eventually took one of the lowest jobs anyone could have at that time, feeding pigs. For a Jew, pigs were unclean, and here he is sitting in the midst of them. There he is sitting in the slop and the feces with the pigs. He is dirty. He is defiled. He's so hungry. He's eating their leftovers. Maybe that's where someone in this room, maybe that's where you are today. The path that you chose promised so much, but it hasn't led you to where it promised. You enjoyed the pleasures of sin for a season, but that season is over. And now you find yourself in a far country away from God. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. Sin will cost you far more than you want to pay. But the good news is that God loves you even when you wander off to a far country. The good news is that God in his love is waiting for you to come to your senses and realize your need for his presence in your life. In this parable, Jesus said, when this man, this young son was at the very bottom, he came to his senses. God's love will do that to us. God's love will cause us to come to our senses while we're in our sin. God's reckless love will cause us to realize that we need his presence in our lives. You see, the son left his father and his home and never looked back. But the way the text reads is that the father never stopped looking for that boy to come back home. He was constantly gazing, waiting for that son 
to return. You see, people assume that God loves them only when they've returned home and only when they've cleaned themselves up. But, folk, we can't clean ourselves up. How can that which is crooked make anything straight again? How can that which is broken make anything whole? People assume that God will love them only when they come to their senses and clean up their lives. But the opposite is true. God loved us while we're still sinners. God loves us while we're wandering in the far country. Your sin does not cancel God's love for you. He loves those who are in the far country. You see, that is the reckless love of God. It's reckless in that God chooses to love us despite our sin. It's it's reckless in that that love makes us aware of our need. But here's the third statement about this reckless love. God's love, when it's received, when it's received, it transforms us. It transforms our lives. Notice in verse 20, it tells us the father felt compassion. And that word, without getting too technical, that, that word in the Greek, it's, it's almost like a, a guttural utterance. It, it's something from the gut. It literally means from the bowels. It's something from the, from the gut, from the very deepest part of a person. There are several times in the Gospels where it tells us that Jesus saw the crowds, or Jesus saw him, or Jesus saw her, and he had compassion. It's the same word that's used in this parable. Notice it says that father, in verse 20, that, that father ran. You see, in that day, in that culture, grown men did not run. It was considered undignified. Furthermore, men wore robes, and I have yet to see a marathon. Granted, I don't watch that many of them, but I've yet to see one where the participants are wearing robes. And for this man to to run, for this man to to chase, to pursue, he would have to take his robe and and tuck it into his tunic, and that would expose his knees. And in that culture, exposing of the knees of the man, that was a very shameful, undignified thing. But the father was completely oblivious to all this. He doesn't care about any of that. He is so overcome with compassion for his son that he's forgotten everything else. And I think that gives us just a glimpse of the excitement that God feels when a sinner decides to return home, when a sinner decides to be transformed by the love of God. For you see, we were all created to be in relationship with God, but our sin has separated us from God, and God is calling all of us to come back home. He's calling all of us to come back to that restored relationship. And I think that this gives us just a small little smidge of an idea of how excited the heart of God is when His record love is embraced by those who are the objects of that love. Look at those gifts he gives him in verse 22. Don't miss this. This is getting rich. He gave him the best robe. You know who the best robe would have belonged to? It would have belonged to the father. The father would have had the best robe. The father gave his own garment to the son. He gave him a ring. 
That ring was the symbol of of family authority. The son is immediately restored to his status as the father's son. He gave him sandals. Sandals were a sign of of privilege and, and wealth. Servants did not wear sandals in the house, but sons and daughters were able to wear sandals in the house. Not only, catch this, not, did you notice that, that, the, that the young man said, okay, I'm going to go to my father, and I'm going to say, I've sinned. I want to be your hired hand. But he didn't get to get his plan out of his mouth. As soon as he said, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I, I'm no longer worthy to be but your son. The father said, nope, that's it. Be quiet. We are giving a party. We're going to have a party. I want to give you these gifts. Not only did God, or the father in this parable, not only did the father withhold punishment that was deserved, that's mercy. When you withhold punishment, that's that's mercy. Not only did the father withhold punishment that was deserved, he gave gifts that were not deserved. That's grace. He extends to him mercy and grace. This is what separates the message of Christianity, the message of the gospel from every other religion on the face of the earth. I wouldn't cross the street to give my neighbor religion because the only thing religion has ever done is send people to hell. But I would cross the world to give someone the gospel. This is what changes everything. This is what makes our message different. God not only withholds from us the wrath we deserve, but he gives us goodness that we don't deserve. We get mercy and we get grace. Where is the punishment in this parable for this younger son? There is no mention of it. Who paid for this reckless living of the son. The father had already given his son the full share of his inheritance. So all of these gifts are coming out of the father's own resources. The father absorbs the debt in restoring the son. Where is the shame that should be hanging over the head of this younger son? It has been removed. My friend, this parable gives us a glimpse as to how Jesus would save us on the cross. The cross of Jesus was God running after us, covering us in his grace. Jesus took our shame upon himself on the cross. He was beaten. He was spat upon. He was mocked. People walked by him and taunted him in shame. Save yourself if you really the Son of God. Jesus absorbed the cost of our sin on the cross. Sin has incurred a penalty, but just like the Father in this parable did not require the Son to pay it, so Jesus does not require you to pay the penalty if you will receive Him. Jesus absorbed the penalty of your sin. He was wounded 
wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, paying the price so that we could be at peace with God. By his stripes, we are healed. Jesus took off his garments. Jesus then took off the garments of our sin and clothed us in the robe of his righteousness. At the cross, Jesus gave us the ring of a brand new life so that as many as have received him, to them he gave the right, he gave the authority, Acts 4.12, to be called children of God. At the cross, Jesus put on our feet the sandals of a privileged position with the Father so we can boldly come into his presence. At the cross, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness in God. On the cross, God's reckless love, if you'll receive it, it'll completely transform your life. If the cross had not happened, then this parable would be just another Hallmark Channel movie. But when you understand this parable in light of the cross, you see that God is the true prodigal. He is the one who recklessly and extravagantly spent his resources and himself to save us. He's the one who ran to us. He's the one who embraced us. He's the one who clothed us with his grace. He's the one who gave us the Holy Spirit to enable us to live a new life. It is the reckless love of God. The key phrase that you need to look at is in verse 21. Where that younger son said to his father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. That is a statement that can be said of every single one of us. We have sinned against heaven and before God. You see, the thing about the love of God is that he loves us despite our sin. And that love, man, it causes something to click at some point in our lives when we realize that. We understand that his love makes us aware of our need. But that love cannot transform you unless you receive it. So my question to you this morning is very simply, have you received the love of God? And I think this parable of the young son of a prodigal God, I think it serves a purpose for each and every one of us in this room today. If you're here this morning and you stand outside the kingdom of God, there's never been a time in your life when you have in prayer confessed your sin to Jesus and repented of that sin, ask him to change your heart 
and received that love, then you stand outside his kingdom. You are still in that far country. You say, Pastor, I'm not living an immoral life. I'm not living a life where I'm out getting drunk every night. I'm not living a life for this other. Okay. You don't get to heaven by living a good life. Hell is full of people who are church members. Hell is full of people who gave offerings. Hell is full of people who are on mission trips. Because it's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done. So I'm asking you, whatever far country, the far country for you, if you don't know Jesus, that's the far country. No matter what you've done to get there, if, you don't, if you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you're in the far country. And if you die in the far country, you are forever separated from him. Today is the day of salvation. You're not guaranteed to make it to your home today. Right now, this is your moment. This is God offering you an invitation to receive his love if you never have. You walked in here separated from God. You can walk out of here a son or a daughter of God. And I'm going to ask you, I'm going to, to plead with you, I'm going to beg you, not for my sake. I don't care if you ever tell me your decision or not. I implore you for your eternity to cry out to God today. Against you I have sinned. And ask him to save you. Receive his love. You say, Pastor, I've done that. I'm thankful. I've done that too. And when I understand the reckless love of God, man, this parable compels me. I want other people to know of this reckless love. Because what you find in Jesus, you will not find anywhere else on the face of the earth. So maybe God has placed someone in your life, he's placed someone on your heart. A neighbor, a family member, a friend, a person that you don't really know, but you see them every time you go to a certain place. And right now, God is he's putting that face in your heart. He's putting that name on your heart. That person you know who stands outside the kingdom of God. Would you pray today and ask God to give you boldness to share the reckless love of God with them? In just a second, I'm going to pray. As I pray, I invite you to pray right where you are. If you need to pray to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, as best you know how, in prayer, speak to him. Confess your sin, repent, ask him to be your Lord and Savior. If you've got a question about that, then we'd love to talk with you about that. We can talk with you about that after the service, right outside these doors to the right. I'll be there. I'd love to talk to you about the reckless love of God. Or maybe you have already received that reckless love and and you just need to pray for someone who hasn't. I don't know what God's calling you to do, but as I oftentimes tell you, all I will ever ask you to do is to put your yes on the table to whatever he's calling you to do today. Father, I'm so thankful that your love for us 
far exceeds our ability to understand or explain. It is a reckless love. It is scandalous grace. It is rich in deep mercy. And I pray today if there's one here that has yet to experience eternal life, that even as I pray, that they would call out to you in this moment, confess their sin, repent, and ask you to be Lord and Savior. Father, would you simply have your will and your way in our hearts in this time of commitment? In Jesus' name.